0: Coming up in this episode. And there is a large white marble plaque, and it simply stated he was the friend of the oppressed Negro. And that
1: inscription started a nearly three-decade-long journey of discovery for Thurmond, and it led to this book. This podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting highlights books with Georgia Connections, hosted by two of your favorite public radio book nerds who also happen to be your hosts of All Things Considered on GPB Radio. I'm Peter Biello. And I'm Orlando Montoya. Thanks for joining us as we introduce you to authors, their writings, and the insights behind their stories, mixed with our own thoughts and ideas on just what gives these works a narrative edge. All right, we are back with another episode. Orlando, what do you have today? Well, first of all, I've got a quick three-question Georgia history quiz. I'm going to fail this quiz. <laughs> uh, who was Georgia named for? Uh King George? Mm, yeah, that's right. Okay. King George II. What was Georgia's capital city during the Civil War? Was this Savannah? No. No. I would not have known that. And who was Georgia's founder? Uh, uh, Ray Charles. (laughs) (laughs) He's the subject of today's book. That's what we're talking about today. General James Oglethorpe, the founder of Georgia. He is the subject of a new book, and this book sort of changes our understanding of the man. It's written by the CEO of DeKalb County, former Georgia Labor Commissioner, historian and author, a history maker himself, Michael Thurmond. And so how does this change our understanding of this guy? Well, let's start by talking about two men, the founder, and the author, and I think I'll start about talking about the author, Michael Thurman, because I think Thurman really is the only person that could have written this book about Georgia's founder. Thurman, like I said, he's a history maker. He was the first black person elected to statewide office in Georgia without having been appointed to the position first. He's a fixture in Georgia politics for coming on three decades. And back in 1996, uh, when he was an agency head in Georgia, He was part of a delegation of Georgia dignitaries that went to England. He was the only black person in the delegation. And as part of this trip, they went to Oglethorpe's final resting place in England. And here's what Michael Thurman
0: saw. General Oglethorpe and his wife, Elizabeth, are entombed beneath the floor of the parish Church of All Saints uh, in the village of Cranham, uh, about 19 miles northeast of London, And there is a large white marble plaque, and it simply stated he was the friend of the oppressed Negro. And that
1: inscription started a nearly three-decade-long journey of discovery for Thurmond, and it led to this book, because the prevailing narrative about Oglethorpe was that he was not a friend of the Negro. Tell us more about that prevailing narrative. So... To get into my former role as a tour guide in <laughs> Savannah, Georgia, for a minute, I used to be a tour guide for many years, to, to talk about Oglethorpe very briefly, he came to the New World to found a colony for poor white people in England. Uh, he wanted to get people out of the jails, out of the debtors' prisons. He wanted to bring them here, and he banned slavery here. And the the prevailing narrative was that he did not ban slavery out of some sort of moral reason. He banned slavery because he thought it would be bad for the white citizens here. He also thought that this would be a security risk to have a lot of enslaved people here. Uh, He thought it might benefit the Spanish, and he knew that to have enslaved people, you'd have a plantation class, you'd have a a rich upper class, and he didn't want that. Hmm. So that's the prevailing view of why he didn't want enslaved people in the Georgia colony. And I cannot tell you how deeply ingrained that narrative is in Savannah. As you know, it's a big tourist economy. People go there to learn about Oglethorpe. And Thurman saw this inscription,
0: and he didn't believe it. I basically rejected it. Uh, so what I committed myself to do was to follow the facts. Uh, I did not know of the information that I ultimately was able to glean and research and write about. So that was not my intent, to revise his reputation. My intent was to conduct as best I can objective research and analysis and to conclude or come to some conclusion about whether or not the statement was true. Uh, As I continued my research, I found some very critical archival uh, documents that continued to lead me. And that's why I think it took the period that it took. But it was only after the facts led me in the direction that I come to, uh, came to the conclusion uh, that Oglethorpe was, in fact, uh, among the first white men in North America to oppose chattel slavery.
1: Okay. So what did Thurman find that changed him from skeptic to believer? What I like about this book, Peter, is that there's an arc in it, and there's lots of different things that he finds. I mean, he starts out his life uh, as indifferent to the plight of a- enslaved Africans. Then he becomes anti-slavery. That is how we see him when he founds the Georgia colony. He he doesn't want it there, but he's not opposed to it in general. But, not opposed to slavery in general. Yes. So... Then he goes from that to being a zealous abolitionist. And that transformation uh, started in in this Thurman narrative around 1732, so shortly before he founded the Georgia Colony, when he came into the possession of a letter from an enslaved man, because get this, he was the deputy general of the Royal African Company. Oh, okay. So Oglethorpe is the deputy general of a slave trading company. Mm -hmm. And that's how he
0: ends up in possession of this letter. The first uh, formerly enslaved black man that came into Oglethorpe's life was uh, Yarbu Suleiman Diallo, uh, who was a young African Muslim captured, enslaved, uh, transported to uh, the Maryland colony. Uh, Diallo was educated. Uh, came from a wealthy family in what is now modern-day Senegal. Uh, After a failed escape attempt from a tobacco plantation, Diallo's enslaver allowed him to write a letter. Uh, The letter is written in Arabic. In the most improbable set of circumstances, number one, the enslaver allowed him to write the letter, but number two, it traveled 4,000 miles, passed through the hands of several white uh, enslavers who worked for the Royal African Company, and ultimately fell into possession of James Oglethorpe. Oglethorpe sent the letter to Oxford University, had it interpreted. He was so affected by the contents of the letter that he arranged for Diallo's uh, freedom, passage from Maryland to England, where he was ultimately manumitted and set free. After Oglethorpe read the letter uh, that talked about, number one, his uh, piety, uh, towards the religion of Islam, love for his family, and the fact that he was literate is what triggered Oglethorpe's journey from slave trader to abolitionist.
1: So that's just one of the, uh, the things that sort of starts Oglethorpe's journey down the road to uh, being anti-slavery and then an abolitionist. Uh, this is about the time when, as I said, he founds the Georgia colony in 1733 uh, um, and Oglethorpe is eventually forced out of Georgia by pro-slavery malcontents. And does being forced out of Georgia by those pro-slavery malcontents push him further into the anti-slavery camp? I imagine it would. He never forgave them. Mm-hmm. So there's all these malcontents in Georgia. They, they, they know they're not making money uh, by enslaving and, and torture and all that of slavery. So... They basically force him out. I'm not going to get into the details, but they engineer him to go back to England. Oglethorpe's life carries on in England. Um, He returns to military service. He fights in a war. uh, He returns to his homestead. And he sort of becomes an elder statesman in English politics. He follows developments in Georgia, namely the the rise of the plantation class and, and chattel slavery. And he surrounds himself with England's leading abolitionists at the time and he mentored emerging abolitionists, people whose names are unknown to me and probably to you, but it's really fascinating to get into all this sort of unknown anti-slavery movement in England. And he also meets uh, another formerly enslaved man named Equiano. Who was Equiano? Equiano was a kidnapped enslaved African, but he was owned by a charitable humane slave owner who allowed Equiano to purchase his freedom Uh, Equiano eventually ended up being a sailor on merchant ships going all around the world. He ended up in Georgia, and he described all of these things in a a book that became very famous at the time in England, and I want to leave you with one quote from that book. When he describes Georgia, Equiano says, of his final days in Georgia, I thus took final leave of Georgia, for the treatment I had received in it disgusted me very much against the place. Hmm. So... Oglethorpe befriended uh, some, not one, but two formerly enslaved Africans. This must have further radicalized him. That's certainly true. Um, a point, one point that Thurman makes, though, is, you know, what makes a radical? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's relative, I guess. Against... By, think about the time period we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He died nearly five decades before England abolished slavery and nearly eight decades before the U.S. abolished slavery. So words that we use like anti-slavery, abolition, uh, radical, it's all in context. Thurman is arguing here that he was very, very early uh,
0: in this movement. We often use the word anti-slavery and abolitionism interchangeably. But in fact, they're very two separate philosophies, and positions a person could be anti-slavery and not support abolition so anti-slavery was a precursor to the abolitionist movement uh, when Oglethorpe founded Georgia he was not an abolitionist but he was very anti-slavery a slave free Georgia was an anti-slavery strategy you say, "Oh, why is that important there's this other person that we know in our history of some fame who was known as a great emancipator Abraham Lincoln Abraham Lincoln was anti-slavery before he became an abolitionist Lincoln supported freeing the slaves but then have them removed from the United States to either South America or Africa He was an anti-slavery advocate before he became an abolitionist
1: Okay so that kind of makes sense I mean we know that that In some points during the Civil War, Lincoln would have kept slavery in place, despite his misgivings about it, if it would have kept the Union. But let's just pause for a moment and note here that he is uh, comparing Oglethorpe to Lincoln. Yes, uh, (laughs) this was very surprising to me as well. And I sort of uh, pushed Thurman on that. But Thurman is very committed to this idea that, that, that Oglethorpe was among the first white men in North America standing against chattel slavery. And let's not forget the fact is there that Georgia was the only one of the 13 original colonies that eventually became the U.S. that was founded as anti-slavery. And it all happened because of a complicated, fascinating man, our Georgia founder, James Oglethorpe.
0: As Georgians, I believe we have much to be proud of. I believe that Oglethorpe's legacy uh, is something that should be not just celebrated, but emulated. Uh, The fact that he could uh, bridge the gaps uh, between race and color and religion. So we have much to be proud of. I think the original vision of Georgia should be our North Star. And if we can uh, learn from Oglethorpe's journey that you can change yourself, And if you can change and evolve and improve yourself, that will leverage and put you in a position where you can evolve and improve all of mankind. Oglethorpe changed the world because he was able to change himself.
1: Did he change the world, though? I mean, it seems like Georgia pretty quickly said, no, none of this anti-slavery stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of superlative languages (laughs) that Thurman uses. What I would say to that is that this certainly adds to the dialogue. Yeah, okay. That, that That is an even-handed way of putting it. Not to say that he's he's wrong in, in, you know, his assessment of that question that you asked at the beginning, right? Like, is he a friend of the Negro? Um, it's, seems like, okay, I could be convinced that he was. Like, for his time, you know, he was fairly uh, progressive. But his impact? I don't know. Well... <laughs> Our differences of interpretation aside, I haven't even read the book. I should I should reiterate, what gives this book the narrative edge in your view? I mean, there was so much that I didn't know. He explained sort of the context of the English abolition movement. And it, like I said, it follows an arc and asks the question, how can we change? And should we reconsider James Oglethorpe? And how do you think this book is going to be received in Savannah in particular? You get the pulse on that city. Well, I hope it changes the narrative. You know, I do think some people are going to be reticent to change their narrative. Uh, but I'm convinced, not necessarily that Oglethorpe is a Lincoln-type figure, but certainly that we don't need to be dismissing or downplaying why he banned slavery in the Georgia colony. He did it. Uh, he should be celebrated for it. All right, so the book is James Oglethorpe, Father of Georgia, A Founder's Journey from Slave Trader to Abolitionist by Michael Thurman. Orlando, thank you so much for telling me about it. And now you know more about Georgia history. Now I can pass that quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Narrative Edge. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. This podcast is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Find us online at gpb.org slash Narrative Edge. You can also catch us on the daily GPB news podcast, Georgia Today, for a concise update on the latest news in Georgia. For more on that and all of our podcasts, go to gpb.org podcasts.